Well, let's talk about that with our good friend. Hey, morning, Mr. Al Bat. Hey, good morning. It's a beautiful day. I'm hoping to maybe uh, sneak out to a uh, oh a, a pretty wild place and take some photos of some insects today. That's kind of my goal, and I hope I get that done. Got yeah. some other things to run around because you can never, you know, in these times you can never go anywhere without a long list of stops <laughs> Al, and things to do. If you yeah. want any pictures of Japanese beetles, you can come to my house. I've got other yeah. things you could probably check out. I've got some big wasps and things. I know a lot of people freak out when they see those giant wasps, but I think a lot of them are not harmful and are actually good. I think maybe I have some cicada wasps. Could you talk a little bit about what the different wasps look like and why they're probably not so harmful as people are, they look? Yeah, and most wasps are solitary wasps. We do, uh, or I do get a lot of calls and photos and things on cicada killer wasps at this time of the year. They're just around for a, a short period of time. They're really, uh, they they get shorted greatly on their life above ground. They're not with us very often. The ones that are aggressive that get into our face are the males. They cannot even sting. The females are capable of stinging. But uh, I've been around them forever and have never been stung once. I talked to an entomologist who said uh, he grabbed one one day and it didn't sting him. And he tried that, I forget how many times he said before one of the females did sting him. But he said, you know, I kept grabbing it and holding it to see if it would do that. So the females are not aggressive unless you're a cicada. Then they're going to sting you paralyze the cicada, drag you off to where they've dug a burrow, throw you in there, and lay an egg on, on you. If it's a male, they get uh, one cicada. If it's a female egg, they'll get two or three cicadas because the females are much larger. And these are two-inch long wasps. Males are much smaller, but the females, two inches long. You know, two inches, you think, well, that's not very big till you see it in a wasp. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. Most of our wasps are not aggressive unless you get around their home. Uh, the problem with wasps, I think, is when most people think of wasps, we think of yellow jackets. And yellow jackets are not solitary nesters. There's uh, great numbers of them. They're in the ground very often. I know somebody the other day said, what's the point of a yellow jacket? And, of course, I said it's on the opposite end of their heads. And I thought, boy, that is, that's so clever. But seriously, a yellow jacket gives you something to wear with those light orange pants. I'm sorry again. <laughs> uh, yellow jackets are beneficial insects. They feed their young caterpillars, flies, and other insects that damage crops and garden plants. Do, do they, if they like Japanese beetles, I'm all for them for sure. Yeah, mm, and I don't know not. that they do. Yeah, I, and I'm going to check on that. I kind of doubt it, but maybe so. Uh, maybe so. They, uh, we just need everything we can that wants to eat Japanese beetles they're just uh i i walk uh, i walk a place called Schaff gardens uh some people are Schaff park it's higby gardens it's on highway 13 just outside of albert lee and it's one of my favorite places to walk it's uh, out in uh, the open because it's a garden so if folks don't like being out in the sun much there isn't many trees to hide they have a little Oh, a little kind of canopy you can sit on a bench to get out of the sun a little bit. But, oh, the Japanese beetles. And I know they pick them. 
and uh, I pick a number of them and just I don't have a pail or anything so I just kind of squish them wait, and wait, try wait. to kick them off the trail. Al, you've heard about if you squish them, the pheromones when you squish them supposedly attracts more. So are you, are you being a part of the problem? <laughs> I don't know how we could attract more there. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's, so it's really futile anyway, huh? Yeah. And, you know, it gives me, uh, uh, I, I don't know, it gives you that feeling that, you know, what I'm doing might not be perfect but at least i'm doing something and it's just i i should bring a pail of something soapy water out there and just carry it out there because i could go to like a rose and just shake it and they would all fall into that pail there's so many of them in there and they and i know a lot of people have uh, sent me photos and saying what an attractive beetle this is and they are they're really beautiful i think dog mane leaf beetles are more beautiful. They feed on milkweed and on uh, uh, dogbane. And they are all these colors. There's just, uh, they're iridescent colors, blue and green and copper. And they're smaller than the Japanese beetle and uh, not nearly so destructive. They eat the sap of milkweed or dogbane. Dogbane has that milky sap that milkweeds have, although um, monarch caterpillars will not eat it. Sadly, I wish they did. I've seen a lot of monarch caterpillars in monarchs, not so many caterpillars, but monarch, the adults. And the I'm seeing also a lot of red admiral butterflies, and mm-hmm. these are guys that feed on tree sap, rotting fruit, and oh boy, bird droppings. Really? Uh, Ew. It, yep. <laughs> and it's caterpillar. They eat nettles. Oh no, kidding! So nettles. Yep, nettles seem to do well everywhere. And boy, you know they eat tree sap, rotting fruit, and bird droppings, and the caterpillars eat nettles, and this makes them nearly impossible to cook for, I would think. Uh, when I was a deer, I see painted ladies, and when I was a deer boy, I called them thistle butterflies, because thistles were host plants for the caterpillars. So the caterpillars of painted ladies eat thistles. So a lot of folks have trouble with thistles, probably like having them around. I watched an aggressive eastern kingbird as I walked down to get the mail and uh, walked down into the yard a few times during the day. He had a fight with a crow, he had a fight with a couple of blue jays, and he had a fight with a robin all in one day while I was there. Who knows who he fought with while I wasn't around. And my only thought was, you know, the blue jay and the crow, they probably had it coming, but why, why attack a robin? It must have considered it a threat, and the kingbird is not one to grant any pardons to anyone. It has this forceful personality, and they often perch in an exposed position in the high trees or long utility wires or fences, and he's just there looking for a fight. He flies in a shallow, it looks like he's rowing the wing beats, and they're typically accompanied by electric sputtering calls. I'm seeing uh, foxtail barley along the roadsides. A lot of people call it squirrel tail grass. Uh, The plant has a windswept look, and it can grow in tough conditions. I spotted, again, these dogbane leaf beetles on milkweed and dogbane. If you're around some of that, just take a look. They're blue, gold, green, coppery, iridescent colors, 
and uh, you know, they just uh, they just brighten the day. And you know, they do. I don't know how they would hurt milkweed. I suppose if you got a bazillion of them on milkweed, but I don't see that many of them. Uh, the perfume of flowers last night. I was out. Now there's some. There's a little bit of perfume of some flowers that are lingering in the air. Maybe some night blooming stuff. And I thought of in the jungle, the mighty jungle, the cricket chirps tonight. In the jungle, the mighty quiet jungle, the cricket chirps tonight. You all know that song. Well, sort of that song. Go outside at dusk and listen to a chirping cricket. And then count the number of chirps it makes during a 15-second period. Add 40 to that number, and that'll give you the approximate temperature in Fahrenheit. And I know you can get it from your phone, but it's kind of fun to go out there and see how close it comes. Every year I go to Alaska for work, and I look forward to seeing northwestern crows in Alaska. Every year I just think, oh, I love seeing these crows. And they were considered a cousin of the familiar American crow until a recent study on the genetics of the two species prompted the American Ornithological Society to conclude that the two species are actually one and the same. It's uh, merely a variation within a species. So on my life list, now I get to subtract one. That's never a good thing when you take one off. Uh, Mark Monlock sent me a video of a crow nest. It was pretty cool. The crows were just kind of sitting around preening and mumbling to one another, but it was neat to see. Lee Pomeroy said, Al, very much enjoy listening to you on Karen's show. How about doing some more emphasis on climate change and how it's affecting nature in our part of southern Minnesota? Well, thanks, Lee. Uh, thanks for writing and for listening. It's... Uh, difficult to convey all the threats of climate change. Some scientists, and I'm sure everybody's heard this or read this, some scientists predict warming temperatures could make Minnesota's climate more like Kansas, which would all but eliminate boreal forests from the state. And you've all probably heard, I know I've talked about it a lot, bird populations in the U.S. and Canada have fallen by 29%. They figure 3 billion birds with a B since 1970, according to a study that was published in a journal of journal Science. And that's close, you know, 29%, close to one in three birds have gone. And about 90% of that decline is among birds that belong to 12 bird families, including sparrows, warblers, finches, and swallows. Climate change, I'm sure, has played a role in shifting bird populations. The biggest reason for the decline is probably changes in habitat. But we see changes. When we have open water late, that means birds can linger here. Migrant birds can stay with us longer than they used to. But migratory animals are also impacted by climate change in general. With less predictable temperatures and these uh, wacky rainfalls that uh, you can't predict, birds are arriving earlier and their breeding seasons are moving up in the year too. So they're nesting earlier. Even animals that stay in Minnesota year-round are experiencing changes in the timing of food availability. This is a problem because not all species of animals and plants have reacted the same to changes in temperature or rainfall. They haven't synchronized their calendars, meaning that a bird 
that arise earlier or maybe deer that breed sooner may end up not having the right kind of food to sustain themselves. I don't know how that'd be with deer because mine will eat anything <laughs> pretty much. But it, if you come to a place and you want to get to go through the drive through and it's closed, that's what some birds and even some insects, because the timing of native and honeybees emerging and plants blooming is presenting a problem as well, which could have far-reaching and lasting consequences for native and cultivated species. So it's not just, it's the whole gamut of things, plants, animals, it just uh, chain insects. It all has worked together for so many years, and now it's kind of getting out of whack where it's not working together so much. And thanks for that question, Lee, and we'll, we'll talk some more on it. Well, you know, I wanted uh, to say that that's a great question. You know, our whole Master Gardener program this spring that we had to cancel because of COVID was going to be about climate change and gardening and insects and pests and stuff. So we're hoping to do that again. We had you on the speaker's branch, and we had Mark Seelig to, um, the, 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 uh, to speak as well. But sadly, we had to can- cancel that. So hopefully, Lee, if you watch and listen, we'll be able to do that again, maybe if uh, things clear up, maybe next spring. That'd be wonderful. Yeah, I got uh, emails from a couple of folks up in St. Paul that say they were looking forward Aww. to being there. Just, yeah, um, you know, they're they're people I know, but I don't really know. I've corresponded with them for forever, and uh, you uh, you feel like you know them without right. really meeting them, which yeah. is kind of a cool thing and kind of an odd thing in a way. Uh, Tom, what a good guy from Fairmont. He sent me a. A clipping of the Family Circus, uh, the cartoon from uh, the newspaper. And Dolly says to her brother, birds smile with their whistles. And that was really nice of Tom. Is that one that um, you had written, lo- Al? You know, I was just commenting, no, commenting no. earlier that, Al, you wrote, you write a lot of gags and things that have in the past. For- I do. But that I wasn't wish I could take. <laughs> I wish I could take credit for it, but I, I cannot. Uh, Betty Lucas says there's a northern mockingbird in Mason City, and I'm holding this in my hand so everybody can see it. Laverne Hoffman from Rochester, he was originally from Dexter area, and I've known Laverne for a long time. He sent me, uh, it's a little wooden uh, base, and there's two nails that are uh, formed into a cross, and they're made out of, these nails are over 100 years old, and it's just really a, a cool thing, and how nice of him to think of me and I hope he likes his new home in Rochester. Uh, Brian Smith said he saw a stilt sandpiper near Medelia. Uh, Paul Jancher saw a gadwall in Freeborn County and a Bonaparte's gull in uh, Faribault County. Uh, a nice email. Oh, you, do we want to? We got somebody from Waldorf had a question. Oh yeah, I want to mention Bruce first. called in just before the show started, and he wanted to know. He said he's from Waldorf, and this was in May. He and and some other people he knows and uh, found in the area, a blackbird. He says uh, it had bright yellow strips on it. He says very distinctly geometric type strips, strips, very distinct lines. And he found it in his yard, and he says, you know, as far as size-wise, you know, it was kind of an average size, I guess, blackbird-sized bird. But but just these amazing black, or these amazing yellow geometric-style strips. And he thought, what could that be? He says, I've been wondering since since May. 
Um, boy, Bruce, do you have a photo? That would be wonderful. And I know we don't. I think he doesn't. We never have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we never have on one. You know, if I ask, then they won't. Nobody will have it. If I don't say anything, now I say, well, I have a photo. Uh, the big black birds we think with yellow on them uh, is a yellow-headed blackbird. Uh, mustard heads, my dad called them. They have a little uh, bit of white on the wing, and they're just, uh, they're beautiful. Uh, the other blackbird I think of is a bobolink. Well, now he has, said uh, it's got, he said that they were very, like, very distinct, like, lines, geometrically, geometric, he described them as, like, geometric strips. So, I, you know, I, I was looking at the the um, picture of the yellow-headed blackbird, and that's more of a yellow head, though. It seems like that's not really a strip, though. Definitely a yellow head, and it's yeah. uh, pretty much limited to that. We do get some uh, that will have lighter colored feathers, but those are typically um, white or pale color, and that's called leukism. And uh, they can be arranged in odd ways over the body of an animal, but that, you know, that really doesn't sound like what he's got there either. I I don't know. Uh, my wife has relatives in Waldorf, but that doesn't sound like one of them either. So I uh, well, could it, it be does a, sound like one of them. Could it be a yellow-winged blackbird? Or I I mean I guess he made it sound like there was maybe more than one. But yellow-winged blackbirds kind of have instead of the orange stripe, they've got the 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 yellow one. But are, do we have those around here? No, oh, there's okay. a. Uh, uh, the bobolink, again, will have white on the wings, white on the tail, and it'll have kind of a, a, the back of the head will have yellow on it, and then it'll have, to me, it's oh, a yellowish white, if that's a hmm. color, on the wings that are kind of, uh, yeah. oh, if you see them in right light, it's kind of a stripey look to it. Do, they look like they've uh, put on their monkey suit, as my dad would call it, whenever we had to dress up to go do uh, some kind of dance or something. Are bobolinks common around here? I guess I've, I've never seen one. I looked at the picture on the, the Google here, and I don't recall ever seeing one in person anyway. Aren't they cool birds? Yeah, they're, they're uh, really pretty, rock. but I mean, looking at the design, I mean, it could be, but do we actually have them in our area? We do, oh, and okay. they uh, they are common, not not as common as I wish they were. I just love hearing them. They have a song that sounds like they're trying to sing too many songs at once, and they the males. Uh, I've gone for walks and chased them up, and they fly up in the air. And Robert O. Lincoln. They talk about them in literature. They're just really neat birds. So take a look at that, Bruce. And if that's not it, you know, we'll just keep. Uh, we'll keep dreaming about what kind of bird it is and maybe come up with something. But if I had to guess, and boy, I do, it'd be, um, I think, a bobolink, and it'd be a really great bird. I, I just, I love seeing them, and that would certainly be the time of year where you would see them. Uh, a listener asked, did the turkey just miss being our national bird? <laughs> Um, you know, I've read everywhere that the turkey lost by a single vote to the bald eagle in 1782 to become the national bird or national symbol. And the debate over the national symbol was memorialized in the musical 1776, if anyone remembers that, in which the founding fathers debated 
three possible birds. In the end, the eagle is picked over the turkey and the dove. But that was in a musical, and maybe that's where this all came from. I checked with the National Constitution Center. They said that in real life, a committee in 1782 came up with a complicated design that featured a crested imperial eagle. Now, today we'd say, it's not a native bird. Why would you even do that? But things were different in those days. And the other bird was a dove. So the, the crested imperial eagle and the dove, that's what they came up with for their design. And the turkey, according again to the National Constitution Center, the turkey was never in the discussion about becoming a national symbol. So I, I, if that, they thought it all started because of the musical 1776. Hmm. And another listener said, do rabbits tunnel? Uh, the rabbits we have here, uh, we don't see many jackrabbits, so the one we're seeing, the main thing, is uh, the eastern cottontail rabbit. Uh, they do not dig burrows. They use deserted burrows of other animals, uh, woody vegetation, decks, brush piles. They use those to escape the elements. And a Michigan study showed only two out of 226 tagged cottontails lived two years. So the bunny you see today, you probably won't see all that long. Uh, other studies found, oh, I hate to use the W word, winter, but other studies found that about 30% of rabbits survive a winter, and their range is about five acres. So you're seeing the same rabbits over and over and over again because they they're not big travelers. A, uh, somebody wrote, uh, sent a text, what kind of gopher is Goldie Gopher? <laughs> you know, Goldie a gold Gopher one? is a mascot. <laughs> yeah, he's a mascot of the University of Minnesota, the Golden Gophers. And when we think gophers, most think pocket gophers. Well, Goldie isn't a pocket gopher. He has stripes, and he looks like a 13-line ground squirrel which is often called a striped gopher. So when you're driving down the road, you see these little guys, they look sort of like chipmunks. They pop up along the roadsides and just kind of look around. If they were working in a cubicle, you'd call it prairie dogging. They just look up and look around to see what's going on. They say that the original design, they, and that's people that have written history books, the original design was based on a 13-line ground squirrel. And the state nickname derives from a political cartoon by R.O. Sweeney, published as a broadside in 1858. But I think the word gopher is just kind of a generic term for any rodent limping underground. People just say, ah, it's a gopher. Some people think the original model for Goldie must have been a chipmunk. And <laughs> a chipmunk is an animal that's certainly more commonly seen than the 13-line ground squirrel. You know, the 13-line ground squirrel has a lot of nicknames. There's Striper. In Iowa, I always heard Squinny, uh, Leopard Ground Squirrel, and Striped Ground Squirrel. And I've heard a ground squirrel also called a Grinny, but that term is more often used for a chipmunk. So if somebody's saying a Grinny, that's a chipmunk, and a Squinny, that's a uh, that's a 13-line ground squirrel. So I know it's tough. There'll be a test later on this. How many bald eagles live a year? 
Uh, you know, the first year of a fledged eagle's life is perilous. I would say the mortality rate is uh, over 50%. So they're big birds. We don't think they should have many problems in life, but probably over 50% of them die in that first year of life. So it's it's a, it's a tougher road out there for pretty much everything. But, uh, boy, once they get by that, then they're... Uh, they li- they can live a long time, and they just do a lot better. Um, this is probably one meant more for the garden show. Somebody said, what color of flowers do bees like best? I read oh, uh, years ago that scientists, I was reading about hummingbirds and why they liked orange and red. And I believe they said one of the reasons were that uh, they didn't have to compete with bees quite so oh. much. Because bees like purple, violet, and blue the most. You know, I have noticed that on my flowers because the salvia and the delphinians and other things that are bluish and purplish, they really go for. So I think that's a that's a good um, that's a good remark that about that. I think that's true. I love seeing bees, and um, I know I've talked about this a lot. I pet bumblebees. Um, I try to do it every day, and. Somebody said, uh, insanity doesn't run an owl's family at gallops. <laughs> so that might be the reason I'm out there penning them, but I try not to be, uh, you know, I can't ask the bee, do you like this? Is this bothersome? I'm sure I'm a, a little bothersome to them, but I don't uh, do it forcefully or anything. It just, it, it brightens my day, and I don't think it ruins theirs. So, and especially if you do it in the morning, on a cool morning, they're pretty slow moving, and I don't know if they're moving slow, and maybe they just don't have their wits about them yet. So it's probably a good time. And I've never had one sting me. Uh, I've certainly been stung by bumblebees on the farm. We'd be baling hay and things, mm-hmm. and sometimes, um, sadly, we would hit a bumblebee nest, and they would um, they they took that poorly, and so I got stung. Never many times, but I certainly have been stung. But I I love bumblebees. I told my son that you pet bumblebees, and and I've tried ever since that you've said that, and I've been able to do it successfully as well. He thinks you're absolutely certifiably nuts, but this is from a kid who's 13 yep. and loves to handle snakes. So I mean, you know, go figure. Well, he um, he can get in the line. There's quite a few that think that, so he he's uh, probably uh, normal in his thinking there. So, yeah, I I like snakes too. So I uh, used to take them to school with me and everything because oh. I like snakes. When I was in school, it reminds me um, when I was in grade school, Heartland. The grade school in Heartland, everybody called it. It didn't seem like it was Heartland Elementary, Heartland Grade School. It was the grade school in Heartland. And we would, uh, when we were little, at recess, we'd play games. One of them was a group of kids would sit in a circle facing inward while one child who was it walked around the rest and tapped each seated player and called each a duck until declaring one a gray duck. And you usually slap that one a little harder, so they were well aware they were the gray (laughs) duck. And then the gray duck would jump up and try to tag the it before the it was able to run all the way around the circle and sit where the gray duck had been sitting. So if, if, if it could do that, the gray duck became it, 
and the process was repeated. And if the gray duck tagged the it, then the poor it remained it. I've heard rumors that Minnesota is the only state that plays duck, duck, gray duck. The other states play duck, duck, goose. The game was brought to this country by Swedes. And there were two versions of the game in Sweden. One was duck, duck, goose, and the other one was duck, duck, gray duck. The hypothesis is that the Swedes playing the second version were the ones who settled in Minnesota. (laughs) Or maybe it was just because no Minnesota child wanted to be labeled a goose. Duck, duck, gray duck is the proper and righteous way to play this game (laughs) and will undoubtedly become an Olympic event. Remember, folks, Heartland is still well worth driving past. Thanks for listening. Uh, Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. As always, Karen, I enjoyed your company, and you have the best day you've ever had. Hey, Al, I want to say I am from Wisconsin, and we always play duck, duck, gray duck as well. But I do want to add that we were 18 miles from the Minnesota border, so maybe that is why. And my family is part Swedish, so um, I'm just saying Wisconsin people, I think, is close enough to Minnesota that we played the gray duck as well. And I think where you lived, you were certainly corrupted by Minnesota values <laughs> and traditions. Were. And I, I run into that just into Iowa, too, talking to some folks. And they said, yeah, we played duck, duck, gray duck. Yeah. What's it supposed to be? But I, I have traveled around the country, and every so often this comes up for who knows why. But um, they say, no, duck, no. duck, gray duck, that's wrong. And they're pretty adamant about telling me I'm wrong. So it's, but I know I'm right. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, great to chat with you as usual. We'll be back again next week. Until then, uh, happy bird watching. Thanks, Garrett. All right. Bye bye. Always great to talk to our friend Al. It is 1032.